having prepared its gift of chocolate and money, the human is now searching for the right place to deposit it. Mm, it appears it may have seen somewhere. Having deposited the envelope, the human bravely runs away. Sometimes, when I pray, I get a nudge to do something. Sometimes I get a nudge when I'm not praying. It might be to check in with a friend, or there might be something practical I can do to help someone out. Or it might be to put £23.15 in an envelope with a bar of chocolate and then pray a bit more to discern whose door it goes through. It could be that I'm nudged and find myself on my knees scrubbing the floor of a refugee house in preparation for the family's arrival. I find these divine nudges tend to fall into two categories. The first is the spontaneous nudge, the act of random kindness. The second is where I become the answer to my own prayers. Take the refugee house as an example. As a church, we were praying for the Syrian refugee crisis, which is the sort of prayer I find difficult. It's big and messy and complicated. But through it, God softened my heart to the situation. And I ended up becoming a tiny part of a tiny answer to one tiny part of the crisis. But God took my prayers and turned me into a small part of that solution. It's something we can see in Ruth too. Boaz prays. A throwaway prayer of all things. Something that feels like just a cultural nicety rather than anything of any deep merit. But he then becomes its fulfilment mechanism on many levels again and again. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. The first way Boaz fulfills this prayer is through gleaning. Ruth has applied for a small amount of protection under his wings to come and pick up what's left at the end of the harvest. And Boaz responds by generosity, above and beyond what's expected. And this can be seen in Naomi's response at the end of the chapter. Boaz becomes the delivery mechanism, serving as God's hands in fulfilling the prayer. And this is then repeated later in the book in a larger context. And it's a pattern we can see throughout the Bible. People turn to God and he then blesses them above and beyond the requirements of the law, ultimately sending his son to die for our sins. But through it all, for some reason, God likes to work in partnership with humans in bringing his kingdom to this world. From Adam in Genesis, to Jude at the other end of the Bible, we find a rich history of humans working in partnership with God. And we believe that didn't stop when we get to the maps at the end of the Bible. God still works through people like you and me. He invites us into partnership with him. For some reason, he chooses to 
pick flawed people like us to make fumbling, messy attempts at bringing his kingdom into the world. Mind-boggling. It helps if we remind ourselves that God is involved in more than just the Hollywood style of divine intervention. We live in a society steeped in science. Just because we can explain something doesn't mean God wasn't involved. Earlier this year, Jenny and I were doing our finances and things were tight that month. That week, through the post, came a letter from our mortgage company. It turns out that there was a fee that they should have refunded us five years earlier, which they hadn't, and they happened to discover it for some reason this month. And the amount, along with a healthy amount of interest, would be in our account within a few days. Now, somewhere at my mortgage company, there's somebody who spotted an error and is just doing their job. But I'll claim it as they working with God, whether they know it or not, through the mundane to answer the prayer. Because God uses people doing mundane things to bless people. There's another key theme we can see pivoting at this passage of Boaz's prayer. And there's a cycle that we can see repeated across the Bible as a whole and in individual stories. And that's of creation, of fall, of repentance and then restoration. Across the whole Bible we see it start with the fall at the garden after the creation story and Jesus serving as the ultimate repentance and the beginning of the restoration. But we can also find it individually in other stories throughout the Bible. Now, with Ruth, we don't see the whole cycle, but we can see hints of it. Naomi's lost almost everything, and with Ruth, they've returned to Israel to place their faith in covenant with God. The covenant made through the laws in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and Boaz prays, and the restoration with God begins with blessing. Now, in the book of Ruth, we don't start at the beginning of the cycle. We see it shorthand. Ruth 1.1 says, the period of judges, which to a Jewish audience is a way of saying, that time when you weren't quite so good at following. There were some good points in judges, but generally it was not a... Um, a most honouring time for the Jewish faith. Add on to this the fact we know a famine forced them from Israel to begin with, and then the men dying. It sounds like a pretty decidedly fallen world. And here in chapter 2, we find them returning to God's laws and the beginning of the restoration, culminating in the postscript of chapter 4 and ultimately ending up in the genealogy of Jesus. Boaz prays, and then begins practical acts that start to make Naomi and Ruth's world restored. It can't get rid of the loss and pain, but it can start to build a life after it. For all its significance, Boaz's prayer is nothing elaborate. As much as the writer of Ruth builds up Boaz as a great man of God, this prayer is not full of complicated imagery or deep, complex theology. It's a simple prayer about the situation Boaz finds in front of him. If we were in a similar situation, we could all come up with some similar words. 
because we don't need some big elaborate faith. We just need a speck of belief, sufficient to start and God will do the rest. And then a heart listening for what next. For Boaz, it was to share his lunch. Now, God doesn't call us to acts that we can't do. The mundanity of Boaz's first step belies the social radicality. But the physical act itself was simple. He was not the first, nor the last in the Bible, to share across societal boundaries. If you start looking, we can see multiple times foreshadowing Jesus in Boaz. Not because he's intended as a prophetic story, but because they're following the same father. Love God and love your neighbour. The widow, the foreigner, the outcast, the homeless, the refugee, the poor, the vulnerable, the lonely, the list, it goes on. And it starts to sound like one of those big and nebulous prayers again, doesn't it? The truth is, once you reduce it to the mundane acts it calls for, it gets easier. Combined with the fact that doing what God has placed on your heart becomes has an added sense of purpose and fulfilment, it becomes positively enjoyable. And more good news, what's on your heart is not going to be what's on my heart. What God is working on in all our lives is different. He has infinite situations to call us to. For Boaz, it was lunch with a widow. Whoever or whatever it is that God is calling on you to pray for, be prepared that it might just be the start. That God might answer the prayer, but in DIY form. Be it a big act or something mundane, I pray that you will respond to the nudgings of the Spirit. So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honoured because of the way, we, way you live, and you will be honoured along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.